McNulty's done incredibly well to get up above Cargill and find Bennett. It's into the box. McNulty cut back for Roberts. It's Gary Roberts no, from Bosby. Bosby are leading in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Mark McNulty, but a good chance by Doyle for McNulty on the edge. Mark McNulty oh, scores yeah. for Bosby. Smashes it past McCormack. One by Doyle. Finished by the returning Mark McNulty. First left blood for Bosby. They're in dreamland early here at Bratton. There's a through ball to Jamal Lowe. Jamal Lowe's onside. The flag stayed down. Jamal Lowe. Nonchalant. Fantastic. Brilliant. Pompey will be promoted at this rate. That is it. Pompey are champions. They've won League Two in the most dramatic of circumstances. The PO4 podcast with Hugh Bunce. Proud to be Pompey. Hi Pompey fans and welcome to PO Forecast episode 47. Well, it's three wins in a row now for the Super Blues and is it time to get super excited or not? Joining me today, returning today even, the amazing co-host of the PO Forecast, Andy Mitchamore. Andy, how are you mate? I'm not too bad, thank you Hugh. Nice to be back mate. How are you? I'm good. That was a bit of a shoddy introduction but I won't edit it anyway. I know. Um, <laughs> going into it today so we're going to go and review the Donny game and then we're going to go and fly into the Oxford game and review that as well and then following that we're going to speak about the question I put out today which is about um, Andy Cannon whether you guys think he should get into the squad for the Gillingham game and leading on to that we're going to go and preview Gillingham Andy Doncaster I was pretty surprised by this result, to be honest. I, I predicted on the podcast last time it was probably going to be a 2-0 Donny win, but it wasn't a 2-0 Doncaster win. And was it well-deserved, in your opinion? Uh, it depends what you mean by well-deserved. Uh, on paper, you'd say probably not. Um, but a lot of the by the end of the season, a lot of the final uh, table will come down to who can nick games when they're under the pump, but managed to steal the three points. And to be fair, one of the criticisms we've had of of Pompey recently is that we're not playing particularly well and we've not been getting results. Uh, so to go to a team who, I think this was only their second defeat in, in the league this year, yeah. after their first 10 games. Uh, so yeah, to go to Donny, where we don't normally pick up that many points anyway, and to, to turn them over at home, yeah, it's a... Whether it was deserved or not isn't really the point, to be honest with you. I don't think. I think at the end of the season, you don't look back and think, "Oh, did we deserve three points in that, you know, in that game that kept us up, or in that game that got us into the playoffs?" You just look at the result. No, that's a fair comment, I suppose. Um, you think last season as well, we had quite a lot of very close games, didn't we? Where we sort of, you know, won two, one, etc., and you know, a one-goal game anyway, and sort of grinded results out, which is sort of what. You know, the Kenny Jacket style of play was all about, wasn't it? Especially the first half of last season. Do you yeah. see? Do you reckon this is a return to that form? Uh, I think at the moment it's too early to, to tell. I'd agree with you. Yeah, in terms of last season, the first half of the year when we were around top at Christmas, so much of the first half of the season was doing the, the, the standard Kenny Jacket uh, tactic of getting ahead in the game and then just holding on to that lead. And there weren't that many spectacular big wins, but... It's something you can you're more than okay with if, if your team is picking up three points week in week out, uh, and obviously towards well after Christmas last year that that fell away uh, quite a lot and the one goal deficit started going against against Pompey. In terms of this being a return to form, I think you'd have to say it's uh, a bit too early to tell at the moment. Uh, we'll know more when we've played our games in hand, especially I think the games in hand are, are they uh, Rotherham and Southend who are two teams that are in the bottom half of the table. And if we win those games in hand, then, you know, we're up and about upper mid table, but that, that's a big if. Uh, games in hand don't really count for anything when the team's not in spectacular form. So I don't buy this whole, oh, we've got two games in hand, what's everyone complaining about when, I mean, we've won the, the last two in a row now, uh, but those aren't points in the bag by any stretch of the imagination. So I think when we've played those games in hand and when we've played a, the same number of games as the teams around us, then we'll have a better idea of what's going on. But I wouldn't be as positive enough to call it a turnaround just yet, mate. No, I agree as well. And we'll look at the positives quickly, um, and then we'll think about you know how we can improve and see you know 
maybe if this is trending forwards or not. Positives, the defence looked pretty good at the back, didn't it? Burgess and Ragger forming a, a bit more of a solid partnership over there. And, you know, you obviously, you've got, I don't know, it's a bit of a platform, isn't it? And that's what a Kenny Jacket team needs to succeed. Yeah, so a lot of Jackets teams have just been really, really solid at the back. Uh, and as you say, just having that base. So Raggett's not had a huge amount of game time over the last uh, year or two for injury reasons. So it's only natural that it's going to take him a few games to get back into the, the speed of things. He hasn't looked incredible the last couple of uh, home league games or the, the, uh, the games where he has started at the back. But this was a much better performance from him. Him and, Bur- um, him and Burgess looked a lot more assured together. And as you say, yeah, having that, that solid central back uh, area of the pitch covered... Uh, Craig McGillivray had a, had a really good game, thankfully, uh, for Pompey. And then having a couple of solid centre-backs in there, it's just it's that base that Kenny Jacket teams work uh, work forward from. And I don't think it's a secret. I don't think anyone would deny that one of the reasons we've stu- uh, struggled a bit at the start of this season is because we've played about six or seven players at centre-back now in total. I did make a list earlier. If you include the game last night where uh, Houndstruck played at, at centre-back, which is a decision I could get on board with because he wanted that experience in the middle of the pitch because he had younger players, at, well, if you can call Anton Walks young, uh, at right back and left back. Um, but yeah, the number of players we've had at centre-back throughout the season so far, it's not surprising we've struggled a bit in terms of conceding goals and struggling to get any rhythm going. So if we can get a, yeah, a, a reliable centre-back pairing while we're waiting for Jack Watmore to come back, who, if he can come back with the same... You know, same playing style he had before he was injured. I'd start him ahead of uh, ahead of Raggett and Downing from what I've seen so far. But that's going to be quite a long uh, rehab process, I'd imagine. So if we can have Raggett and Burgess starting together and getting some sort of relationship going at centre back, it can only lead to better results, really. No, definitely. And do you think that Lee Brown's introduction to left back made much difference in the sense of some people I've seen on Twitter are saying, you know, about the sort of the added leadership and grit factor that Lee Brown brings to that left-back position that, you know, we all think Brendan Houndstrup's done a great job, but do you think that gives us a different edge at the back there? Yeah, I'd, I'd completely agree with the, the comment about the comments about having a bit more grit and just a bigger figure, bigger physical presence. I think Houndstrup's done a really good job since coming into the team. He brings a lot going forward as well, and I don't really have anything critical to say about him. Uh, but in terms of having just that, that bigger presence, a bit more experience, uh, which we've lacked at times, and having someone who you know, has, a, has a good working relationship with other members of the back four through you know, the last year of, uh, of playing in the back four. I think, as I just said, it's that continuity we're looking for, and chopping and changing two or three positions out of the back four is going to lead to problems. So, yeah, I, I'm quite happy that he came straight back into the team to be honest I know people are fairly split on that uh, we ran a poll on Facebook and I think it was about two-thirds people wanted him straight back in the team a third of people didn't um, but yeah I was quite I was quite glad to see him come straight back in and as you say he brings that experience he brings that grit and just a little bit of a little bit of uh, yeah gamesmanship I guess uh, which you need when you're trying to see out these narrow leads that uh, we'll hopefully seeing, be seeing Pompey get into more in the next few weeks. Yeah, and especially when you sort of promote him to assistant captain or vice captain or whatever you want to call it. And the fact is that it just, I think he's one of those players you see on the pitch, isn't it? When the players look a bit down or frustrated, you know, Lee Brown sort of, you know, you see him jog over, give him a little tap on the shoulder, have a cheeky joke. Um, I think Ronan Curtis has really suffered from not having Lee Brown behind him actually at left back as well. With that, with that chemistry and also just keeping him in check a little bit. I do think that Lee Brown has, has really helped Ronan just keep that sort of temper down a little bit by taking the piss out of him as well on the left. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I've noticed that on quite a few occasions at Fratton is that the interaction between the two of them when the ball's out of play, um, they do talk to each other throughout the game as they go past each other, make comments to each other. You can see Lee Brown being encouraging, calming him down when he needs calming down psyching him up a bit when he needs psyching up and yeah I, I'd agree that Curtis has probably missed that from the left back position they played a lot of football together last year and I think you could tell that they when they when the overlap is on you can tell that Curtis knows he's going to be there and they don't really need to look up to to know where the other one is I think 
and um, because of the amount of game time they've spent together. Yeah. And I think um, Brown's crossing at the start of the season wasn't maybe mm-hmm. up to what it was last season, I'd say. But at the same time, you hope he comes back into the team and he does provide that extra width by getting past Curtis. And, you know, the right ball was usually on there, isn't it? Um, he's had quite a few opportunities to put a great cross in. And hopefully, you know, he can, he can actually kick off and get some decent service into Marcos on that side. Yeah, I think it's it's easy to... Uh, obviously, his crossing wasn't at the standard you'd hoped it would be at the start of the season, but that wasn't uh, just a Lee Brown thing. That was There, there were other members of the team who were equally guilty of that. Um, I think he was one of the people who was really focused on um, whether it's justifiable or not. It's arguable. It's arguable to you know si- uh, to single anyone out. Um, but yeah, I think um, having that experience back in the team, it can't be a bad thing when we're trying to calmly see out games. And the defence have looked a bit panicked at times, uh, especially trying to see out leads. There are plenty of examples of that through the season so far, uh, where we've gone a goal up and then sat behind the ball and panicked a little bit and not looked composed doing it against particularly 10 men, nine men in a couple of games. Uh, so, yeah, having that sort of experience back in the team is only going to be a good thing, to be honest with you. Do you think, though, that let's go, go back to the game a little bit and looking at the stats, there was 26 shots from Doncaster, seven of ours, and they only had six on target, though, to our five on target. So, you know, that, that does show that volume of shots, as we know, against um, Shrewsbury at the start of the season doesn't equal goals. However, possession, they had 62%, whilst we have 38%, again, away from home. But you can just see that they controlled the game for large parts of it, didn't they? But just couldn't quite find that finishing touch. Yeah, but Doncaster tend to do that at home in in most of their uh, league fixtures this year. I had a look earlier. Even the games they've been losing at home, uh, they've had uh, well over half possession. So... They lost to Blackpool at home a few weeks ago, and I'm just looking now. Even in the game they lost at home to Blackpool, they had 58 possession, uh, 58% possession, and I mean it's pretty pretty regular for teams in League One, obviously at home to to have more of the ball. But there was only one game I could see where they'd not had uh, over 50% possession. There was, I think it was just one game uh, that they'd they'd won anyway. Uh, so they're a team that like keeping the ball, so it shouldn't really be a surprise that they controlled the game. And sure. as you say, the, the percentage of shots on target from the total shots they had were, were under a quarter. So it did come across as a, a bit of a barrage at times. But yeah, I, I'm OK with that if Pompey walk away with three points. No, so am I from a perspective. I just wanted, I'm just trying to have a think, but we'll go back into this in a minute. Um, obviously, Gareth Evans got that goal. Um, I knew he said breakaway was a nice hockey term, but on the break as such... Um, the counter-attack and he, he took it really well didn't he by you know he played it early enough that the keeper I think didn't stand a chance yeah exactly yeah so more often than not if Gareth gets set Gareth Evans gets center on goal he's yeah, a pretty good finisher of the ball to be honest with you it's not not the first time he's done that for Pompey um yeah I don't have a huge amount to add that add to that to be honest mate it was a it was a nice breakaway goal nice to see Pompey moving the ball quick one of the criticisms of the team a lot is that rather than breaking uh, we get a certain distance up the pitch, which, to be honest, frequently is up level with the opposition penalty area. And then there's no impetus. There's no uh, sort of final product. We sort of stop, yeah. wait for, say we're on the right-hand side and we get up to the, the right-hand corner of the area. Um, whoever it is will stop, turn, and then just sort of play it back on the right wing towards the halfway line, by which time the other team have got players back and we just sort of lump a ball into the box or just, yeah, it comes to nothing a lot of the time. So it's nice to see that sort of incisive breakaway. Um, and th- I think one of the frustrations is that we actually look really good when we do that. Uh, and it's not as if we haven't got players capable of that sort of incisive breakaway and sort of the quick moving ball. And it just seems like other teams do it to Pompey, not always scoring, but other teams seem to break quickly a lot more than we do we seem to wait for everyone to get back into position and just do the tried and tested um the tried and tested Pompey way of getting the ball forward and trying to get on top on trying to get uh, on a knockdown Mm. so yeah it was really pleasing to see that sort of quick breakaway goal and that that finish that as you say doesn't give the keeper a chance because he's hit it early I mean I just I think the thing is though I'd say last season we did score quite a lot of goals didn't we on the counter-attack and it was one of the reasons why our away form was so good because 
other teams would look to control possession a bit more against us. They would allow us space by, you know, pressuring us and being more attack minded at home. Yeah, so at Fratton, you don't really get that. That's the the frustration. But away from home, obviously, we think, you know, we should be able to utilise this tactic as we did um, against Doncaster. Yeah, well, as you say, I mean, I'm sorry, as I said, we've got the players that have the capability of doing that, particularly now you've got um, Marquis up top, Harness on the right, Evans can, well, he's played left, right and in the middle. He can do it from um, anywhere on the pitch in that in that centre part of the park. Hawkins we've got the players who can fit. do it. Sorry? Hawkins when he's fit. Hawkins when he's fit is, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, but no, I, I do, I do for real, and I think that also we'll just, just quickly move on to Ellis Harrison's introduction. Mm-hmm. Obviously, came off, came on for John Marquez, which was, at the time I wasn't sure if it was a tactical substitution or, you know, or if it was mm. actually an injury. We found out he bruised his toe, which is actually sounds pretty painful to be honest. And um, yeah, Ellis comes on and takes a really good opportunity because that header was well, it was a blinder, wasn't it? It was beautiful. Oh, he loves a looping header, doesn't he? Absolutely yeah, he loves a looping yeah. header. Yeah, yeah it, was a, it was a really controlled finish, like not panicked. Looked like he knew where the keeper was, knew exactly where he wanted to put it. And as the cross came in, you don't really think that anything is going to come of it, a header from that sort of distance out in that body position, because he's sort of leaning like quite an un- Yeah, exactly. He's leaning back. It's quite an uncomfortable position to get any control on the ball. Um, but yeah, a really, really good finish. Um not, he loves scoring with his head more than his feet by the looks of it. Um, but yeah, and to, obviously it's a, a winner in injury time as well, which is nice to see. Com- yeah, we've conceded a few late ones recently, so uh, nice to see us score in the last minute instead. Yeah, and from all the guys we know at Pompey News now who went to the game, um, they were just saying that it was a pretty wild time, obviously. I think the fans deserve to have a bit of something positive to cheer about, don't they? That that last-minute winner as such against a really good team away from home that hopefully, you know, get people feeling a bit, a bit better about travelling all the way up to Doncaster. Yeah, exactly. Well, the away fans need something to cheer about a bit, don't they? After, after the, the Wickham game, um, nice to have something to, to celebrate for sure. No, definitely. Um, should we move on to the Oxford game? Sounds good. Um, cool, let's do it. So, um, recording this on Wednesday night. So, it was only yesterday. It was fresh in the mind. Andy, Oxford, we played a pretty young side, didn't we? It's worth pointing out first, I think. Oxford played, to my knowledge, you know, pretty much a, a starting team with a few tweaks to it. Did you think we'd win this game? Uh, looking at the lineups before, um, no, if I'm honest. I don't think this game was even really about winning. I mean, I saw a couple of, we went a goal down. I saw a couple of comments saying jack it out. And I mean, I've got that muted on Twitter, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm, I'm not even particularly jack it in or jack it out, but I just I don't particularly want to see that after we go a goal down with a really young lineup against a pretty much full strength Oxford team. But yeah. if you look at um in terms of our the age of our players, particularly from midfield forward, it was a really, really young team in the first half. So yeah, to to get a result, I mean technically two all draw, would have been nice to see it out in uh, in normal time. But yeah, to get a, a respectable result like that against uh, a more experienced and probably more first-choice Oxford type side was really satisfying. Uh, it was great to see Bradley Lethbridge get a goal as well. His first senior goal for the team. Um, obviously, we spoke to Brad down on the podcast. Uh, I can just say, first of all, he's a cracking lad. Um, you know, he works really hard. He's always got the technique. He's gone down to to Bogner. You know, he's really well rated. He works very hard as well as being technically good and. It's nice to see some of these academy prospects, you know, progressing. Because I know there's a lot of, well, not a lot, but there are people who think that we should be, you know, playing a, a development side between the academy um, and the first team. I think that would be a good idea. But all the guys I've spoke to, the young players, actually say that they think being sent out on loan and then breaking into the first team has actually been beneficial to them. So... It's good to see them moving on. I can see Bradley's um, improved as well, which is what we want to see, isn't it? Along with the other young players we've got who are you know, knocking on the door of a League One team. And it wasn't long ago that we didn't have any players that were knocking on the door of a League Two team. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I mean, some of the young players there are, you know, not far off being fringe for the first team, really. Someone like Leon Maloney, there's, there have been quite a few calls for him already to 
to give uh, Curtis some competition on the left. Uh, so, yeah, it's really nice to see the young players coming in, putting in a big performance. Lethbridge put in a, a, a really good um, a really good shift before he was replaced by Harrison in the second half. And then I thought Maloney looked pretty good on the wing. Um, obviously, there was no sort of real end product to seal it with a goal tonight. Um, he didn't have as many chances as he did in, in the other group games uh, in this cup. But as I say, it wasn't really about the result last night. Not many Pompey fans particularly care about this competition until the final because it's nice to have some silverware in a day out. But especially as we're pretty much already guaranteed to go through from the group stage. Um, I mean, I just went along to look at the youth players because you don't get to see them play every five minutes, do you? No, uh, so it, was, it was nice to see players like Maloney, Flint. Obviously, Harvey Rue came in for his debut as well. Um, and players like Lethbridge and, and um, yeah, uh, Hancock at left back as well. And it was good to see them get a run out. And they really held their own against a comparatively a lot more experienced Oxford team. As you're the king of Oxford, who travels all the way down to Pompey for every game as well, it must have been quite nice to have the young players come to you for a game. Yeah, it was a much shorter commute than normal. Uh, I got home at a decent time for once. <laughs> uh, yeah, if I go to a Tuesday night games at Fratton, then I get home at about half one in the morning if I come back same night. So, yeah, nice to have a little commute home. Um, Alex Bass is what I was going to drop into now. Yeah. The man at the moment. I mean, from all the you know the footage I saw and from watching the replay, he, he actually... Well, he looks like he played an absolute blinder and he's got, he looked like he had that presence of a goalkeeper who was ready to step into the first team. Uh, yeah, I, I had a look at the uh, the video highlights earlier and the, the official Pompey Channel ones didn't really show any of his saves. But when we were 2-1 up, we could easily have been, to be honest, 4-2, 5-2 down. Made some really good saves above his head that were reaction saves. Made one really good save with his feet from all the one-on-one. Uh, yeah, made four or five saves that really kept us in the game. And as you say, yeah, just commanded the area. So to be honest, the last couple of years, one of my, well, not criticisms of him because he, he's young and getting bigger uh, through just, you know, getting older. But one of my thoughts was that he probably wasn't ready for league football because he wasn't physically big enough, didn't have that presence in the area. Yeah. But uh, again, things that aren't going to get shown in the highlights, like coming out for crosses, um, taking charge of the area, knowing when to catch, when to punch. There was one shot in the first half that I think took a deflection that uh, had a lot of power on it and he just about managed to get behind. That was the only sort of squeaky bum moment uh, for him. But other than that, I mean, and that, yeah, that wasn't exactly a, a mistake on his part. He still got behind the ball. Other than that, he looked completely solid, assured, um, which isn't good news for, for Luke McGee at all, who I don't really think we'll see playing first team. I'd be very surprised if he made his way back into the side again. But I, with Bass... Uh, I don't want to see him just sitting on the bench. I think he's genuine. Last night is um, a performance that makes me think that potentially needs to go somewhere to play first team football because he's not going to really excel just sitting on a bench waiting for McGillivray to be called up or waiting for McGillivray to get a niggle or injured. He needs to be getting a full 90 minutes to put in more performances like that because it is really nice for us to have such depth. Uh, in, in the goalkeeping position where we've got a young Pompey lad who's genuinely good enough where he, he could now come on uh, as a as a sub if, if McGillivray gets injured and I'd be perfectly happy with him coming on. Whereas previously I'd be not concerned, that's probably too strong a word, but I wouldn't have as much confidence. But yeah, all of the little things he did last night, just did everything in a composed manner, knew when to waste time, uh, Frustrated a couple of times. I think this is just what's trained into them. In when he has the ball in hand, and there's the option for a quick breakaway, but waits for everyone to get back in position. But every goalkeeper I've seen at Portsmouth for the last sort of four or five years has done that at least, and that's just you know um, the last four or five years off the top of my head. So I think that's just trained into them to wait for uh, to avoid the quick breakaway. But yeah, his shot stopping was second to none. I don't think he could have done anything about either goal. Um, the penalties. And to, well, the Oxford penalties were either excellent or absolutely shocking. The ones they scored, I don't think he really could have done anything about. Um, yeah, you can't really criticise his performance at all. I think he was something like 11 saves, wasn't it, he made? Yeah, 11 saves and one penalty save. So Yeah, yeah, it just had a really solid night, to be honest with you. Um, which is, yeah, really reassuring. The work he's putting in behind the scenes is obviously having an effect. Uh, Hancock looked pretty decent at left-back. I quite like Jacket's decision. For the first couple of minutes, I was slightly confused trying to work out which left-back was going to play at left-back. 
but I quite like having that experienced centre back, having a experienced uh, centre back pairing of Downing and Houndstrup. Yeah, it, it made sense when you started watching it, and Houndstrup looked pretty natural there. To be honest, he didn't look in any trouble at any time. Referee wasn't brilliant. Um, I didn't think he really got a hold of the game. And again, I'm not the sort of person that blames referees, but I didn't feel like he was. Uh, I don't think he was particularly biased either way at all, but I don't think he was too lenient, I think, on on a lot of niggly challenges that were left in, particularly on Pompey players. Uh, I don't think we got the rub of the green with those decisions. Um, but yeah, Houndstrop and Downing looked fairly solid. It was nice to see Downing have a good game because he didn't look brilliant last time. Uh, he came on as, as a sub at Fratton. And then, yeah, Walks, who I don't think it's particularly breaking news. I've said it many times that I don't particularly think he's a league one right back but uh, he had a perfectly solid game obviously uh, scored our second goal it was a nice finish yeah even um, though Harrison tried to rob it at the death didn't he I think he was doing sort of a tactical block that you'd see in you know rugby union uh, like a little bit uh, <laughs> a little bit cheeky just a little bit of a body check to make sure that the other uh, or like American football style so that the Oxford defender couldn't get back but without actually doing anything wrong but yeah just uh, slowed yeah. down the, the the finish of the second goal seemed really composed. Watching it live, I thought that um, the opposition left-back had got a foot to the ball and just messed it up. But it's actually Walks got his head in there, uh, which is brave in the first place to get your head in there when you know there's going to be a boot there as well. And then, yeah, the finish was really, really composed. Um, and, yeah, nice to see him put in a good performance. I still don't think he's defensively a right uh, a League One standard right-back, but, yeah, that that is just my opinion. Yeah, if, if Kenny decides to go a little bit bonkers again and play three at the back, I think he'd be a good candidate to play a right wing back role. Um, yeah, he's, he's I, certainly yeah. better going forward than, than he is at the back. I'd agree with that. He's, going forward, he looked really good last night, absolutely. And yeah, looked pretty composed. It was nice to have uh, three out of the back four looking, uh, you, know, you know, three out of the back four being senior players and taking charge for the most part. It wasn't vintage Pompey by any stretch of the imagination, but it wasn't, it didn't need to be last night especially for such a young team as well to get that experience and then you know to go and win on penalties is, is probably quite a, a big confidence boost to the lads there as well I would have thought yeah absolutely um you could see the difference in the second half when Evans and Close came on into uh, the centre of midfield you could really see the difference then uh, in terms of composure Evans had a really big impact on the game I thought he looked uh you know we talk about players driving forward and we're going to talk about Andy Cannon later and how important it is to have players that will run at the opposition defence. And uh, yeah, Evans did that. Uh, he could have scored himself in the second half. Uh, but as I say, it's not a competition with that we're particularly bothered about, but I don't think there's any problem with wanting the youngsters to do well, essentially. And uh, but yeah, you could tell you could tell the the sort of step up in experience and a slight step, well, a step up in quality when Evans came on in the second half. He started to run the game a little bit at times, even though we were under the pump for, for a decent amount of the second half towards the end. I think that's what you need, isn't it? Someone a little bit more experienced who the lads who are younger can also follow. And, you know, we all know Gareth leads by example as well. And on the pitch, he's he's not the sort of player to get lazy or to moan about anything, is he? He's the kind of person that picks everyone else up. And I think... I think some of the lads have said before in training that, you know, they follow Gareth's lead because yeah, sort of inspirational. And probably fans know that effort and appreciate it too. Yeah, absolutely. There's I don't think you'll find a fan anywhere in Portsmouth that would use the word lazy to describe him. I think that's literally never been said. He is beyond hard working. Um been impressed with his fitness as well. He gets himself around. Obviously he only came on for a, a second half sub appearance, but even when he plays the full ninety minutes, his fitness looks good. Uh, that's the other thing I'd say with Ryan Williams, actually. Uh, he gets criticised for not having an end product, but he doesn't ever seem, well, he doesn't, that I've seen, he doesn't ever seem to look particularly leggy. Um, his fitness is serious in terms of repeated mm. sprints for the 90 minutes. Um, at no point does he stop putting the legwork in, and he covers, I'd be interested to see how much ground he actually covers over the 90 minutes, Ryan Williams, at high speed. Um, that always impresses me when I watch him, even if some people have said that his end, end product isn't as good as his work rate, which is a, probably a fair comment, to be honest. But yeah. his work rate, again, is second to none. We do seem to have a lot of hardworking players at the moment, which is always nice to watch as a fan because you do want to see that effort from minute one to minute 90. We do have a lot of hardworking players. What I do feel like, though, is that sometimes that 
the hard work of some of the players there isn't quite fitting into the system. Um, we need to be pressing better as a team. I mean, I was talking to Freddie, um, who writes for us at Pompey News now, and he's discussing the Doncaster uh, game, which, you know, I'll touch on, but it also leads into the Andy Cannon question, really. And he was talking, I was saying to him about, I know we didn't have a lot of the ball, and I know it's some, some people describe it as, you know, a smash and grab, but I said to him, from a stats point of view, and he's, he's talking about this later on as well, I think he's writing a new article on it, but I've just stolen his uh, stats off him. It's, you know, how do we close teams down? Now, when you look at the off-the-ball pressing, for instance, the lower the number, the better, okay? So it's how much time you give people on the ball. Pompey are 16.88 on the chart, whilst Doncaster are 8.77. Uh, the team average is 7 in the league. So Pompey are giving people more than double the time, basically, on the ball than any other team on average in the league. Not only that, but average passes when in possession, we're only averaging just over three and a half passes, whilst Doncaster are averaging over six passes together, um, which is obviously leading to an expected goals ratio in that game of less than one. I've got a feeling that the, the fact is that this off-the-ball pressing isn't necessarily a fact of the whole team being lazy, um, it's, it's a factor of two things. It's a tactical decision to hang back from the manager and sit deep, not push up, not press high. So giving other teams time and space on the ball. But in addition, I think when you play a 4-4-2 formation with Brett Pittman up front, who is the same age as Gareth Evans, but let's face it, does look leggy compared to Gareth Evans, Andy Cannon, etc. You're playing effectively with 10 men trying to push which means you don't have the ability to push out to players easily enough. Andy, do you think that it's just a complete managerial reason why we're not pressing teams? Because we're not. We're giving them huge amounts of times on the ball, which is, means that I think it's not sustainable. Or is it purely a fact of personnel? Um, I would certainly say that it's a tactical decision. You see it a hell of a lot that we're happy to sit off teams until... They're probably, what, 35, maybe 40 yards from the Pompey goal. Hold our shape and then try and pick off their intricate balls through, which is all very well. But if you start coming up against stronger teams, um, again, I don't want to go on about the, the derby the other week, but one of the differences was the speed of those incisive passes. That's the difference between League One football and Championship Premier League football. You're mm -hmm. going to start... Assuming that all goes well at Pompey over the next however many year, months, years, whatever, definitely not getting ahead of ourselves, but assuming things do continue moving in the right direction in the big picture, at some point, that sitting off teams until they're 40, 35 yards from the goal, it's not going to work, as demonstrated by uh, by what happened the other week uh, in the derby. Uh, I think, it's yeah, it's 100% a tactical decision. It's not laziness. You look at who the whoever has been playing centre defensive midfield for us over the last the last uh, what season and a half. I wouldn't categorise any of those players as lazy. They've all got really good work rates. They're all physically fit. None of them look particularly leggy for the most part playing in that position. It has to be a tactical decision, completely. So if it's a tactical decision, we'll get onto this question now. Um, when I've got the actual notes in front of me, I've just. There we go. So I asked you guys, and once again, thank you very much for the, you know, there's so many responses actually to be bloody ages to try and write them all down. But I asked you guys, Andy Cannon had a fantastic game against Oxford. He's earned, Has he earned a start against Gillingham? If so, who in place of? So looking at the different, looking at the different responses we've got, and a lot of people agree, I'd say 90% of people uh, do want Andy Cannon put into the team. Um, and a lot of them want close out. So Adrian Parrish, cheers, mate, for messaging in, said, we need more energy. So in a 4-4-2, it has to be him over close. Uh, Pompey Hazard again says, yes, he replaces Ben Close. Uh, Jake Mayers, he agrees as well. Cannon in for close, Harrison in for Pittman. Just to pause there for a second, Andy. Cannon in for close. A lot of people are saying that he's he's got, we need that energy that Cannon has. And, you know, they want people to close down um, the opposition more. And it, it sort of, I feel, do you think Andy Cannon will drop in and do that? Or will he be held back more by this formation? And not even formation, but by this directive from Kenny Jackett. Um, 
from watching him in the past, I don't think it would hold him back. He's one of those players that is really good at, you know, just bothering other teams around the ball. He badges them. He just chases and chases and chases. Uh, personally, I'd agree with the majority of the people that have, uh, have commented in on uh, for this pod and sent messages in for this podcast. Uh, personally, I would bring him in for, for Ben Close myself if we're playing 4-4-2. If we go back for, to 4-2-3-1, I'd bring him in for Pittman. Um, one of the... I got... Well, I kind of got set off on a bit of a, a rant about this last week. I think I sent you some of what I said in terms of the gaps that appear on the pitch yeah. uh, when Pittman's caught out of position. So if Pittman comes back into a defensive position and Marquis is up top by himself, Marquis gets totally isolated and it's extremely, extremely frustrating to watch because from, I mean, high up in the front end, you've got a really good tactical view of the game, just looking down at it from above. And it is so obvious what's happening from above when Pittman gets dragged back or tracks back into that sort of central defensive midfield role or into a right defensive midfield role if he's just, you know, tracked back and chased a player back with the ball and then we win it back. Marquis is sitting up top waiting and the gap in the centre of the pitch is infuriating. It honestly is so difficult to watch. And Marquis is isolated. And this has happened in multiple games. Marquis then kind of drops deeper, sort of towards, well, into our own half, because so he makes sure he's not so isolated. Um, ball gets played up to him, and he's our furthest forward player where we're supposed to be breaking. He's on the halfway line, surrounded by, you know, three opposition players, and there's not much he can do with it. And in an ideal world, you've got Curtis or Williams or, or Harness playing off him on one of the wings. But in reality, in that situation where we're trying to break quickly, the play hasn't caught up with him in time for, for him to have any of those options. So, yeah, if we're going to play 4-2-3-1, I'd certainly bring Cannon in uh, purely because of that pace and fitness. And then potentially, if we're chasing the game a little bit, in the last uh, last 20 minutes, bring on Pittman uh, if Cannon's looking a bit leggy and just tell Pittman not to track back in that situation so that Marquis can maintain his, his place on the pitch further forward. Yeah. In terms of uh, playing a 4-4-2 with Cannon coming in, uh, I wouldn't say I'd worry about him getting stuck back playing a defensive role. Uh, yeah, like I say, from, from what I've seen, he's, his fitness has look good the entire I've not seen him look leggy at any point um yeah I, I that that would be my my preferred change I think I love Ben Close to bits as a player I think it's it's awesome to see a, a another Pompey lad come through and do bits in the team uh last four or five games he's been fairly quiet uh I thought that in centre midfield last night Evans looked better than him when he came on to be honest with you yeah um uh, and Evans affected the game more when he came on. Uh, Cannon looked really good last night. And we, we talk about these driving runs. He gets his head down and just runs at the opposition back four uh, and has the pace to to really trouble them. Whereas, yeah, someone else, uh, going back to 4-2-3-1, Pittman is probably the better finisher. But whether we're playing 4-2-3-1 or 4-4-2, I want a player who can run at the opposition. And Cannon just gets his head down and runs with, with pace at the back four and stretches the game, which... As I said earlier, is one of the things that uh, can be frustrating, particularly at home, is Pompey not stretching the play enough. And Cannon does that purely because he's not afraid of, you know, running with the ball at opposition teams. And when he does that, sometimes his decision making isn't going to be perfect. There were a couple of times last night where there was a, a ball on that he didn't pick up on because he was because um, he was running at the defence and had his head down. That's going to happen, but I'd, yeah, I'd rather have someone stretching the game like that. So yeah, I, I'd agree with the majority of our comments. No, I agree as well, and I think that you know Samuel J tweeted in again. Cheers, mate, for that, and he says totally agree there. Um, Naylor's always been defensive midfield and does struggle sometimes with the pass forward. Let him concentrate on the back four. Put Cannon next to him to help the front four. Closely's dropping for a bit. Um, I think that's fair enough to say maybe we need a bit of contrast and someone to get forward with the ball quickly. Um, Sharon just says, yes, should play, be playing every game. Should who, well, sorry? <laughs> Sharon says, yes, he should be playing every game. Oh, so Cannon. Andy Cannon. Yeah. 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 Um, cheers to that, Sharon. And I think at, in this form, you'd say he should be playing every game. Um, again, it swings in roundabouts, doesn't it? You know, Ben Close starts the season with 
goal of the month style goals, isn't he? And one of the best players we have. And he's dipped in the last four or five games, as you say. And now we're talking about having to bring Andy Cannon in. So I think that's the reason why you have a squad as such. Uh, Gazza Top, Mrs. Ginna says, Kenny Jacket in for Kenny Jacket out, basically, for... Um, what was my fucking question at the start? Andy Cannon, has he earned a start? If so, in place of who? Oh, I get it now. In place of Kenny Jacket. Well, we could have um, Andy Cannon as manager, but I'm not quite sure I could uh, put up with that. Um, Adrian Parrish says, need more energy in a 4-4-2, so it has to be him over close. Again, yeah, agree he agrees. Yeah, I agree with that. I think in a 4-4-2, you can look very stale if you've got... You know, I'd say that Closey can be a bit of a tic-tac-toe passer, can't he? But he's, he's very progressive. It can be quite quite slow to take. And you, you need someone to pick the ball up and, and bring it forward so you don't get those two strikers isolated up front. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, um, is an interesting one. There are quite a lot of people who have said this as well, Andy. Jake Mayers says, Callan in for Close, Harrison in for Pittman. Harrison's really earned this start now, hasn't he? I think so. Yeah, I again, I wouldn't disagree with that from Jake. Um, I think it was uh, Ben Pay wrote in his his starting eleven uh, for for the weekend, which was uh, Bass, Brown, Raggett, Burgess, Bolton, Naylor, Cannon, Harness, Williams, Harrison, and Marquis. And yeah, I I completely agree with what Ben's put there. I think that would be the lineup I'd start with. Um, I think yeah, it's it's about having a squad. It's I, you, you're not going to find many teams who keep the same centre midfield pairing for the course of an entire season. Players are going to come in and out of form, and that's absolutely fine. That is what it is. We're, we've got we're in League One. We have League One standard players. We're not going to have players that can turn on the style for 46 league games in a row. Mm-hmm. It's all about rotating informed players in and players who need a couple of games away from the limelight out to get mm. a bit of their freshness back and come back with a bang, which is what. I'm certain Ben Close will do with a couple of games out of the team. It's what I'm hoping that um, Curtis is going to do after a couple of games out of the team. It's a squad game. You're not going. You're not going to uh, win the league with 11 incredible players and and no or 11 really good players and no backup. It's all about the squad depth. Yeah, it's, actually, a, long, it's a long season. Look how many games we played last season, all cups combined. It's a ridiculous number. It was like 60-ish, wasn't it? It was something like 60 yeah. games over the course ma- of the season. It was an absolute mad amount of games, wasn't it? And I'm not surprised to see us and Sunderland burn out at the last day. Well, exactly. And you're not going to have players who are who are at top of the game for 60 games in a row. No one on the planet plays well for 60 games in a row. So, yeah, I'd, I'd bring Cannon in for close, whichever formation mm. we go with, hopefully a 4-4-2. And, yeah, I'd, I think I don't see what else Harrison can do to earn a start. He's taking his opportunities opportunities when he comes on. Um, he gets himself about, and yeah, I'd like to see him and Marquis starting up top. Yeah, and um, I actually agree with Ben as well. So um, it's not just me and you, Andy. It was also Paul Reynolds and Craig who both agree with Ben. Um, they commented on his post as well. So maybe we should start um, uh, Ben Pay in. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's see if Jacket's out first. But yeah, <laughs> yeah we can start a, a, a Pompey News Now campaign to get to get Ben picking the team. He should be the fan for the week or whatever it is that uh, the Portsmouth News do. Fan for the week every week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gaffer for the season, I think it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, okay, so just to have a look, at there's only a couple more questions, but I think then we'll, we'll use the idea of what Ben says just to roll into previewing the Gilliam game. But have I covered everyone? Jackie's Jacket says that Cannon, um, thanks again for messaging in, sorry. Cannon um, is most effective going forward, as everyone else has said. Games um, like Gillingham, he's fine at holding against, he wouldn't mind him as a defensive 10, basically, if he wants to play there. Close not holding midfield, having no impact on games at the moment, going forward or defensively. Far too long now. Um, I don't know what he's on about there. Uh, including, maybe... including the end of last season, he said. Okay, that's me reading it wrong, mate. Late at night, that's what I'm using for that. Maybe Naylor holding close and cannons an option. I suppose if you you could do that if you wanted to play a three in the middle, almost a upside down triangle. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Um, I'd like us to give four four two a crack for a few games, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, yeah, let's keep it yeah I, I don't, I don't disagree with the sort of the theory behind what what uh, I'm assuming it's a it's a he. Um, I don't take any issue with the theory behind that, but I'd like us to. I'd like us to play a, just a standard four four two for a few games, see how we get on. Yeah, and Carl agrees as well. Carl Allen should have been starting for weeks now. The only midfielder that gets on the ball wants to drive forward with it. 
So I think that summarizes it quite well, Carl. Right. Gillingham, mate, are you excited? They're a team that at the moment, they're just above Pompey in the league, I think, aren't they? Should have had that in front of me right now. Um, yeah, they're but, one point above me. Yeah, they're not they're not doing that well either, are they? Let's be honest. They played South End and got a result. Um, they're poor. South End are a really poor team. So that doesn't say too much. And they just come off a 4 0 battering from Ipswich in, you know, I assume they're trying their hardest because it was the EFL trophy. Uh, they had they had a fairly weak team out in that game. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've been I've been sarcastic. Yeah, but it didn't I come you the mic- It didn't come through the microphone. Maybe <laughs> yeah, other they, they people made a lot of, as They well. made a lot of changes for that game and lost four 0 in the cup. They played it played Ipswich a few weeks ago and it and lost one 0 at home. Which okay for for most teams in the league, it's probably not a dreadful result. To be fair, um, but yeah, they beat beat Southend, uh, which you'd expect most teams to. Um, yeah, yeah. You'd hope we'd get a result. They're, they're one point, one place above us, with two games in hand. Uh, so it's a, you know, potentially a, a good opportunity to to jump up the table slightly and to make at least one place up on Saturday afternoon. Um, they've also got the mighty Stuart O'Keefe. Uh, he's they down have. there now. Uh, he's down. I think he's down in my big notes to the big man to mention. I think he scored in the in one of their last games. So the man's hit form. He left us, went to Plymouth, and underwhelmed everyone at Plymouth. And uh, I don't know what they think of him at Gillingham, but if he's uh, if he started scoring, then yeah, maybe maybe he's found his uh, his calling for the season. But wow. hopefully, yeah, hopefully he won't bag against us. He didn't pull up too many trees at Pompey, so hopefully he won't enjoy his time at Fratton back as a visitor uh, any more than he enjoyed his time here playing for the for the team. No, and the. <laughs> Interestingly, so uh, Gillingham have actually split the way they play a lot this season. They played four times in four three three, three times in four one two one two, which basically That's is the four, which basically they're playing it though in a system which is four at the back, the mighty O'Keefe in front of the back. So it's the show. A, That's correct. He's, <laughs> he, he's sort of playing that Perlo, you know, that deep position where. It, he picks the ball Mate, up. And... Did you just confess to your O'Keefe to Pirlo? People are going to turn off the pod and never listen again based on that. Oh, mate, my sarcasm is not coming through. It's Anyways, really not. That was appalling. Jeez. Did you say that seriously? No, no. Good. You're <laughs> taking a piss out of me now. It's like, yeah. All right, okay. O'Keefe at the back, right? Good old Stu. Um, I remember the guys from Jules and the Blood when he actually, <laughs> when they signed him and I, you know, gave him a fair assessment of what I thought of Stuart O'Keefe. Um, and they're all trying to be all positive about him. So maybe I should get in touch. Actually, I should have reached out and find out what, what they actually think of him because mm. they were hoping he'd be that knee-breaking midfielder that he promised to be for Portsmouth. The guy, that... yeah, that, that's what we thought when he first turned up for us, wasn't it? Sort of a slightly aggy centre defensive midfielder who could run the show a bit. And he, no, he, he said, had a few games. He but... said that I'm here to be the new Michael Doyle. Oh, he said I'm here. You He's know, here to fight you know, our own players. You don't, <laughs> you don't need to worry about that anymore. You might have lost that by, but I'm here. You know, I could do that easily. Didn't work out for O'Keefe, but fair play. He's got himself another League One well, seat somehow. I was going to say, yeah, he's consistently finding himself League One sides, isn't he? So he's found his level. He's obviously, well, he is a solid enough player. Um, again, teams like, well, you're saying, <laughs> looking at the league this season, teams with promotion aspirations from League One, uh, you wouldn't think that he'd fit into those teams. But yeah, he's, he's obviously a standard, solid enough, does a job consistently week in, week out, sort of League One mid-table player. Um, which, again, looking at the league, same seems a bit perverse to say at the moment, but that's not what Pompey should be about this season. We don't want that solid bunch of a team that can finish 12th and grit, be gritty every season. We want want to be pushing for promotion, although that, again, is a slightly laughable thing to say at this moment in time. No, but it's not laughable to point out it should be the aim, I reckon, Andy. No, true. Yeah. Going into this game, um, I've just been looking over the, what they're good at, watching stuff, etc. They're pretty good at attacking down the wings, even though they played a fairly narrow formation. So they seem to tend to stretch out. Those midfield three will actually push forward down the wings as well. So yeah, can, um, you, can you say what the... We only got as far as Stuart O'Keefe and then I just got distracted. Oh, what, yeah. What's the rest of the team lined up like? This is professional, isn't it? Oh, so, we're nailing it, mate. Can you tell we're drinking as well? Yeah. <laughs> Strong. <laughs> well, it's been a hard day, right, Andy? True that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, at the back, they've got... Um, they play, as we say, four at the back. Pretty, They've got Elmer in the middle. Um, Ogilvy, if that's how you pronounce him. Um, O'Connor, 
I think it's all right there. Um, at left back and play Fuller sometimes at right back. I quite like him. It's not been a settled back four. Um, they play Stuart O'Keefe. Um, they've got um, Alex Jones. He plays there as well. I can't remember his first name, so I didn't write it down. But they play that three across. They've got Brian as well on the other side on the left. They've got that guy. What's his name? Lee. What's his first name? I, I, I should have, have a Google. Ollie Lee. Charlie? Ollie? Ollie. Ollie. Ollie Lee. Um, so he basically plays it in the hole there behind the striker as such, but right. behind two strikers. He's the creative midfielder they need really in that position. So far, he's got two goals this season. Um, but he's also the highest rating player by expected goals and uh, chances created. Yeah, but based well. on expected goals, we're like in the top six, mate. So, I'm, you know, only, only, you can only use that for so much. Well, chances created anyway, mate. Yeah, I don't, um, I don't want to jump on your stats, mate. But they're not, they're not the be all and end all. I, yeah, which is ironic considering stats is like one of the things I do for a living. But <laughs> Andy's getting all itchy about it. No, um, I, don't, I don't know, mate. I think yeah, I, I looked at the table by expected goals, and it's. I know you're a massive fanatic for it. Uh, I don't buy it. Ex- expected goals isn't making Pompey fans feel better that we've played three, uh, played nine, won three, drawn three, lost three. That's that's just my view, mate. That's fine. But anyway, he's ch- created the most chance. He's created the most chances for that in that position. So that what I'm talking about is creating goal scoring chances. Sure. Okay. So there we are with him. They play two strikers up front in this formation. It'd be interesting to see if they do that. I assume they will, especially at home. Um, how do you pronounce this guy's name? Um, Jakob Bayek has got four goals for them so far this season. Um, and Hanalan plays up front with him. They are both a handful. Um, two of the better players they have in the squad at the moment. They do play quite a lot of long ball football, Gillingham. They don't necessarily maintain possession that well either. They're quite direct as a team. Um, and I think that against Pompey, that will suit us because it's not going to be a team knocking it around us the whole time. Um, they're not that good at protecting a lead. They play very long and direct. So, Yeah, um, I was, yeah, I'd agree with that. I was looking at their possession in away games um, and the, the away games, they get 37% possession, 49. They had 42% possession against Tranmere, which says a lot. Uh, and then forty percent—that's their last four, last four away games. So yeah, they're not the team that's going to come here and try and play Pompey off the park. And I, I'd agree with you in that. I, I think that does suit us. Where we seem to look vulnerable is those quick, like quick breaking on the ball on the ground, playing nice, attractive football teams. That's where we seem to come unstuck. I'm sure this is famous last words, but the teams that come and just try and you know long ball tactic were fairly good in the air. If you look at our our back line. Particularly, uh, well, saying that, yeah, I don't want to be unfair to Bolton, but particularly Brown, uh, Burgess, and then either Raggett or uh, or Downing, they're all good in the air. So yeah, I, I'd say that would suit us. No, I think it definitely will suit us. I think there are teams set up for us to be able to beat. To be honest, even though, as I said, they're fairly decent at home, they will score goals against us if we allow them to stamp the game on us. But I think Pompey have to have a bit of faith. I know we've won three games in all competitions. They've got to be a bit of confidence. Lee Brown coming back into the team will certainly help with that as well, in my opinion. Andy, do you feel that this is a team that we can beat and will beat? I do. Uh, I think the crowd have got a lot of responsibility this weekend. Um, to be honest, the, the atmosphere at home against Bolton and um, the, the first half performance was shocking, to be honest. And you need something to awful. you need something to to back as a fan, but the, the difference between Tuesday night and Saturday was infuriating. The the silence, like, first half, genuinely outsung by the away Bolton fans. I was embarrassed, 100% embarrassed. Um, I'm always quite vocal about this and how... I think unless you've got a reason to be sat down medically, I think most, if not all, of the Fratton ends should be stood for the majority of the game. They aren't. Um, Obviously, if you're sat 20 rows back from the front and everyone else is around you is sat down, you don't want to be the one person stood up. But just create some sort of atmosphere. It was so flat against Bolton. It was so flat. It was really, really infuriating. And I, like before, uh, even, yeah, even before the game, even at the start of the game, after 20, 30 minutes of us looking like the away team against a, a team on minus nine points at that point, that wasn't going to be an atmosphere because there's, you know, you need something to get behind, and 
there wasn't a performance there. But even at the start of the game, before we knew how how poorly it was gonna it was gonna start, it was just really flat, mate. And I think the players need that from from the fans uh, from the start of the game. So yeah, I do think we'll get a result against Gillingham. Um, I never bet against Pompey. Uh, I know I said I thought we'd lose the derby, but in in a league game, I've never bet against Pompey because on our day we've got players who can who can you know really make the difference. But we 100% need the crowd to get behind the players early on. Um, yeah, I think we'll get a result. I think we'll win by two two clear goals. That's my prediction. But I just really want to see a better atmosphere, mate, to be honest with you. It was so good on the Tuesday night. 4-0 down and then that last 20 minutes of constant noise until way after the final whistle. And it was just such an anti-climax on Saturday to go from you know that Tuesday positivity to just such a flat, negative atmosphere. And yeah... I hated to, uh, I hated the first half of uh, the bottom game as much as anyone. It was bloody terrible. But yeah, I don't know. It's it, it's frustrating. I find it frustrating. I know a lot of people I've spoken to feel the same way. Uh, and it's not having to go at anyone in the ground. I just want everyone to be loud. I want to have a. I want to have an atmosphere, and the players respond to that. Yeah, completely. I think that. You know, we don't want to become one of those teams that just sits around moaning the whole time, booing the booing the players and etc. Everyone's got their own right to do what they want in the stadium, but it would be great if we could get some, you know, get some noise no matter what you think of the team and you know, show you're a Pompey fan and actually back the back the back the team on the pitch. Uh, exactly, mate. It, sh- it shouldn't get to the point where um obviously that was a pretty it was an ill advised tweet from uh, from Curtis, but it shouldn't get to the point where the players are feeling like that from the from the fans. And he didn't have a good game. But in the past, the Pompey fans would be, you know, even louder when someone wasn't having a good game, get behind them. And I uh, I don't think, I mean, we don't want to rehash this, but the majority of the fans weren't cheering the fact that he was going off. The majority of the fans were cheering the fact that Evans was coming on and that we were making a change that the fans had been calling for and, you know, singing for the Gareth Evans song to, you know, try and get him onto the pitch. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think it was just, it was a perfect storm of circumstances in that Curtis wasn't far from the touchline anyway. Everyone cheered that Evans was coming on and it just got misconstrued essentially for the most part. But um, yeah, we shouldn't be, it's just, it, it says a lot that that sort of tweet was in his mind. We want players feeling positive about the fans. We want fans feeling positive about the players. Um, so the, what we can do as fans about that is to just, be loud, be proud, get behind the sides. That's that's all we can do. That's the only control we've got over the game that's from, it. from the stands is to be loud and make it as unpleasant for the opposition team as possible and make it as positive and, well, not even necessarily positive, make it as, as a good an experience for our players as possible to maximise their performance, whether that is being positive and cheering or, I mean, David Norris said the other week, if a team is underperformed let them know about it by all means um i personally don't boo at halftime unless it's been you know i don't in fact i don't think i ever have booed at halftime but um if it's been negative then by all means yeah make your feelings known at halftime because the players don't want to be cheered if they're three goals down at halftime but yeah just make it an atmosphere the opposition hate that's the main goal and we definitely did that against saints you could tell in the first half they were the first 20 minutes they were taken aback by the atmosphere and it took them a long time to get up to speed if you can create that sort of atmosphere for less gifted players in League One, then you know it, it's going to make a huge difference. Looking sure. at we're playing against teams. I mean, Oxford only got three stands. We're playing against teams who aren't used to playing in that sort of atmosphere. If you can make it a cauldron, any other team in League One is it's going to take a bit of time for them to adapt, and that can give Pompey the extra you know five percent that could be the difference. No, for sure. And I think if we, if we can do that, it's definitely going to help. I reckon score prediction time. I want to go three-one Pompey. I want to see Harrison start. Um, I want to see Cannon start again in Ben Perry trust. I reckon personally, we're going to get we're going to get a couple of goals. Marquis will get a goal. Um, I do think that if Harrison plays, he'll score. And and again, I'll throw a Marcus Harness goal in there to wrap it off. Um, and I think it'll, it'll really push the team off. We can get a clear 3 1 win, um, put some, just put a bit more confidence back into the team again and try and go on a bit of a roll. Andy, score prediction over to you. Um, I 
Firstly, I agree about the atmosphere. I, I was looking earlier. They've already sold over 500 tickets uh, with uh, a couple of days still to go. So, yeah, the atmosphere is going to be, hopefully, that'll, you know, uh, it's much easier to be loud as home fans if there's no way support to go up against. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of score, I'm going to go 2-0 Pompey. I think Bass will keep a clean sheet. Uh, and I'm goal scorers, I'm going, I'm going Harness and Lee Brown. Lee Brown? Lee Brown. I forgot I could bet I'm, on him again. I'm bringing it back. Bringing it Love back, Love that. Love that, Andy. Um, when it happens, that. we're going to look like a genius. If we're going to look so the, good. Uh, if you can ignore the 15 times we've done it and he hasn't scored, but it's going to happen. It's we're, on epi- we're on episode 47, so if you just deduct the amount of predictions I've made right. on it, then... If we, if we bet on that for every game, <laughs> how, well, what, what odds would we need him to be at for us to make our money back? <laughs> I hate to think. I think we need... I mean, obviously... I already have been paid out on my Lee Brown bet because I bet he'd score against QPR. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true, true. So I think I'm, I'm about even thanks to that bet. Fair enough. We shouldn't have counted. Uh, but yeah, two nil win. Uh, sorry, two nil win. I think that's my shout. Two nil win. I, I, I reckon it's good, and it's nice to see that we think we can go away to Gillingham, who aren't a great side. Let's be honest, and and you know aren't a good passing side either let's get out there let's show some class and let's bring the points home yeah absolutely mate uh, i'd agree with that i if we can win our games in hand the table does start looking a, a bit more bearable i think the, the games being postponed is i wouldn't say it's made things look worse than they are because it's been fairly dire i'm not going to sugarcoat that at times it's been pretty dire but yeah if we win the games in hand it looks like a situation that can be resolved if we lose the games in hand, you're starting to worry a little bit. Like it's, I mean, it's only it's only October, but um, I think by Christmas we're going to have a very good idea of the direction the season's going to go. I can't see us doing what Plymouth did and struggle till Christmas and then turn it around, unless we, you know, bring in a Ben Thompson at Christmas rather than getting rid like losing him like we did last year. But yeah, these games in hand are quite important, and I think we'll yeah. My positivity is just undying, mate. I think we'll I think we'll pick up the three points this weekend. And is it the beer for us speaking, or is it just a general feeling? Uh, no, I'm only had one, so that's that's a genuine feeling. <laughs> okay, we'll go with that. Andy, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast as always, mate. Um, anything else left to say, or should we close it off there? Um, lots of managers moving. Jack Ross is gone from Sunderland. I think that's going in reality, Pompey aren't going to lose Jacket in the near future, especially after the last couple of wins. I think watching what happens with Sunderland is going to be quite interesting uh, from a Pompey perspective. Because, uh, you know, if we'd lost the last couple of games and lost this weekend, potentially could have been us doing the same thing. So, yeah, I think keep an eye out on whether change is always a good thing. That's my shout on Sunderland. I love that, mate. I love that. I think I think also that Sunderland, let's hope they get a real pants manager in, mate. It would be absolutely hilarious, well, wouldn't Paul it? Cook's, see the, see the, the odds have been shortened on Paul Cook going there from Wigan, mate. Have you seen? I reckon they would hate having Cook as manager. I think they'd hate it, yeah. Bearing in mind, yeah, how quick, well, how Just easily the they turn on managers. Yeah, Just exactly. He'll fight, he'll fight back against them. Yeah, I'm just going to try to get the odds up now, mate. Sunderland new manager odds. Let's find out what the odds are on Cookie. That uh, Gareth Ainsworth and Daniel Stendhal, who just left Barnsley, are the top two, I think, in terms of odds. Oh no, on uh, on Skybet, Paul Cook is nine to four. Jeez, nine to four. Uh, Daniel Stendhal's five to two, Ainsworth three to one. So yeah, Cook's odds have shortened a lot. Oh, can you imagine? I don't want them to get Stendhal. I think he's a good player, a good player, good manager as yeah, well. And I think he'll play nice football as well. Yeah, it'll be really frustrating to see Sunderland in a really good system playing nice football yeah, and tearing teams apart. There's nothing worse than seeing teams you don't like very much happy that they've yeah signed a decent manager. But I've heard Roy like Keane was in the running originally. Uh, he is fourteen to one. <laughs> same, <laughs> same, same length uh, odds as Sam Allardyce. That'd be incredible. Yeah, I've got him on the screen now. He is fifth favourite, mate, ten to one. But I didn't realise Cook was actually favourite. Now that that's really mental, interesting, isn't it? I'll be honest, yeah. 
I think I'd definitely rather Cook goes to Sunderland than Stendhal goes to Sunderland. So, yeah, the- I'd probably agree with that. I think he's not going to play attractive football, and part of the reason that Sunderland fans got on Jack Ross's back was the style of football. So, yeah, interesting. One uh, one, be a good atmosphere if Cook comes back to. Bearing in mind the atmosphere he got when he came back with Wigan, if he comes back with Sunderland as well, jeez, that'll be friendly. Ovation. <laughs> yeah, super friendly, mate. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but yeah, I think the manager merry-go-round was the, the the other thing we probably should comment on. But it's been a busy couple of days in terms of managers leaving and uh, starting. Well, yeah, starting new jobs. Yeah. So, well, let's hope it, mate, and let's hope Pompey can actually. You know, make some noise. Yeah, get play out Pompey, mate. Play out Pompey. So until next time, people, play out Pompey. You have been listening to the PO Forecast for Pompey News Now. Available on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Follow PO Forecast and Pompey News Now on Twitter for more information. And there is the full-time whistle. <laughs>